this is our official start, everybody. Um, greetings, and I am coming to you from Menlo Park, California. And my name is Terry Givens. I am the CEO and founder of the Center for Higher Education Leadership. And we are an online portal for professional development for higher education leaders. I just put there in the chat um, some information. You know, we are a startup and uh, we do rely on uh, your memberships and subscriptions. I see some of our subscribers here. Um, or should I should say members. Um, we see some of our members here and we do rely on your support to keep going during these times. So if you can't afford a membership, we've also got our, our uh, I Fund Women campaign we're doing and would appreciate a virtual tip if you like what we're doing. Uh, but in any case, um, one of the reasons I wanted to focus, so last, if you didn't see last week's uh, video webinar, um, it is available. Um, just go to our website, you can uh, take a look at that. And we've also been blasting it out via social media. Um, please do follow us. Um, and Terrence, could you put into the chat um, our uh, social media handles? Um, Terrence, my colleague, and she'll be managing the questions and so on. And um, I see we already have a, a few questions I've gotten from folks, and so I'm making sure I share those with Terrence so we get to them. But uh, in any case, I um, wanted to make sure we talked about crisis management and communications because one of the first things I noticed when this whole thing started was the very extreme differences in the way that colleges were managing it from Harvard that just said, hey, we're shutting down and not really giving students any resources right away to, um, I mean, I'll use Lewis and Clark as an example because that's my son's college, but, you know, taking a very measured approach, you know, following what was going on with the, uh, the local authorities and, you know, sharing it, uh, information with parents. I mean, I'm a parent too. So, you know, I'm you know, on the uh, Facebook page for uh, my son's college. And um, we also, uh, you know, are, I'm following very closely what's going on in general. And I've just been shocked at some of the communications that are coming out that don't take into account um, you know, the, the issues that students and, and faculty are facing. Um, I've gotten at least one question, you know, what's happening to faculty who are, are in the middle of, as they're looking at uh, promotion and tenure and so on. Um, what's happening with students who, um, I mean, I, I take it personally because when I was a student at Stanford, I was struggling financially. And if I had had to suddenly leave campus, try to get home, you know, how was I going to afford a plane ticket or drive home? You know, I didn't have a car, you know, I, I, I relied on my on-campus uh, job to, to pay the bills. I mean, there were, there's so many factors and any other, I, I wrote a little, if you can also follow me on Twitter, I'm at Terry Gibbons, and I wrote a little thread on uh, leadership because I think the number one thing we have to come at this with is compassion and empathy. Because if we, and also diversity, because, you know, one, I think one of the problems with the way that some administrations are responding to this in terms of communications is that they're, they're thinking by the book, okay, we, ha we have to do this, and you can read some of the memos that are coming out, and it looks like they were written by a committee, <laughs> you know, it's like, you got a little blurb here from the legal people, the little blurb here from the financial people, it's like, start with compassion and empathy. <laughs> <laughs> Think about the fact that people are freaked out. <laughs> faculty are worried about, you know, faculty are already stressed out people. And now on top of all the things they have to do in terms of, you know, publish or perish, they have to get their courses online, they have to do all these other things. And, and I think there's been a, a, a rush to say, oh, we, you know, we're just going to 
go online. And that's not the way it works. I mean, we need to give uh, faculty and students some breathing room. Um, and, you know, so some colleges have said, okay, we're going to do an extra week of spring break to give time. But, you know, the, communicating these things and showing that you're taking into account the, the feelings of the people you're working with is so, so, so critical. But anyway, um, so we have Jonathan Friedman and, and Kimberly Gray who are here today. John, he's like me, got his Pan <laughs> America sign up there. Uh, and and uh, we appreciate John. He's been a contributor to our newsletter, Higher Ed Connects. And we've, John, we met um, about almost a year ago um, uh, when we were both on a panel um, at American University talking about free speech issues. And we had some great discussions there. Um, and he's really an expert on dealing with crisis because of one of the bigger crises on campus over the last year, and especially around the issue of communications, has been the free speech issue. Um, and then we also have Kimberly Gray from UVI, who's going to talk about ways we can communicate with students um, and uh, work with them in this remote situation in, in ways that makes it more effective and uh, efficient. So in any case, I'm going to start with John. So go ahead and unmute yourself. And um, he's going to talk for a bit. But if you again, if you have questions, please uh, put them into the chat. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Terry. I'm thrilled to be here. And, uh, you know, I think as we all are adjusting to this new normal, it's wonderful to have uh, opportunities to still be engaging with other people, you know, uh, close, but but from afar, um, or I should say from, from just the right amount of social distance. Um, so um, for those who don't know me or my work, I work at PEN America. Uh, PEN is a near 100-year-old literary and free expression organization. Um, and we be got active in the realm of free speech on college campuses about four years ago now, um, seeing that there were a lot of people talking past one another, uh, free speech advocates on one hand and um, advocates often of diversity, equity and inclusion on the other, who seemed to, you know, both be talking about around each other, around each other's arguments um, and, and um, a great deal of um, kind of animosity and pitting, you know, basically what we view as two critical values that are equally or, or both at least um, important to the core mission of higher education being pitted one against each other. Uh, and so a lot of our work has been about bringing people together, about developing practical and principled uh, solutions for higher education. Um, the, the impetus or kind of underlying um, mission for a lot of our work stems from a charter written in 1948. It's a Penn International Charter, which talks about, you know, the importance of free speech as an international human right, um, but also commits the organization and its members to not only defend free speech, but work to dispel hatreds. So we have been working for, um, um, you know, a, a long time with a, a kind of dual mission that is not just free speech in the abstract, abstract, but thinking about how free speech um, can be balanced as a principle along other other values in higher ed, diversity, inclusion, etc. And um, what's been really interesting about my work and why, you know, I think we're all figuring out how our work pivots uh, into the coronavirus moment. But what, what's been so interesting about my work is um, the way in which because so many free speech crises have been um, flaring up on college campuses for the past few years, I have actually spent a great deal of time looking at how universities communicate, thinking about how they communicate, um, and talking to people in different roles uh, internally about how teams of people with different kinds of expertise come together to communicate a shared message in the midst of some kind of crisis. Now, of course, coronavirus is somewhat different than a speaker coming to campus. It's different than a protest that gets out of control or a situation with a professor and something they tweeted that people are upset about. Um, so it, it's, I don't want to say that it, it's, it's uh, 
all easily convertible uh, things that I have learned to this moment, but I do believe that there are some kind of simplified or core truths to thinking about how we communicate as an institution um, um, that, that I, I you know, talked to Terry about how we could apply those uh, uh, for, for this moment in higher ed. So first, I want to say that you know, we all, anyone who knows higher education well knows that, it, that any single university is no single thing at all. It's complicated, it's large, it's segmented, it's anarchic, you have different parts of it that do different kinds of things. So it's really fundamentally unlike something like, let's say, Google or Facebook or um, um, you know, the muni municipal government. It really has a lot of different levers that can be pulled and um, different parts of it that communicate to you know, their own outward audiences. And so in a moment of crisis, this becomes vital to, to consider, you know, what are, what is the university and its leadership doing to help not just, you know, its outward or public facing uh, community understand what the university is doing, but help the different parts inside of it understand what is the kind of common message. Um, so I think there is a lot to be thinking about in terms of the mechanics internally, in terms of how uh, a message is communicated, how different uh, parts of the university are consulted, uh, thinking about you know wh who's who's drafting language and, and how it turns into kind of outward facing um, commentary, and frankly, who's seeing that commentary or who's reading that message, proofing that message before it goes out. One of the things that I've seen a lot of universities get better at actually is um, just before you know maybe the president or someone in our staff has has uh, drafted something just before that it it becomes public, uh, you might you know, have different personnel in different offices review it first and kind of give feedback, not just on, you know, what it says or is there a typo, but how does it sound? How does it feel? And this is where the art of communication is so critical because often it's not just about facts. It's not just about what the university is doing today. Um, Terry, as I mentioned ago, it's not just about Harvard saying, or, or any institution saying, you know, we're closing down. It's about, you know, what is going on in um, the minds of the people who you're expecting to hear this message. I often say that in the wake of a very intense, um, crisis on campus surrounding free speech, sometimes the last thing that people want to hear about is the First Amendment. It has, you know, I think this is something that universities have improved upon, um, where at first, you know, a lot of times the first gut message or first instinctual response to something is, um, um, uh, you know, it, well, we can't do anything about that because it's the First Amendment. And I think similarly with the coronavirus, um, you know, the first instinctual response is, is, is very clinical. You know, here's what's going on. Here's what we're doing. Uh, here's how we're reacting. But it's important to kind of consider, you know, all the different people who are going to be reading that message, all the different mindsets that they're going to be in and kind of finding a way to hit the right tone, frankly, um, in terms of how you communicate. So, of course, the first step is to figure out what you want to say, what is the meat of what you're saying. Um, I think, you know, in, in, for most institution that, institutions that involves consulting with general counsel and consulting with different, um, maybe there's a senior leadership committee, you know, what is our message? What are we doing? You know, how soon are we closing? But then there's a step between just translating those um, core facts and communicating them outwardly, which is how are we going to say this? You know, how do we um, signal empathy? How do we communicate uh, the right kind of uh, uh, a kind of almost like singing the right note, I think is perhaps uh, the best comparison. And I think it's really vital that universities understand that, you know, just because the president or 
maybe it's a, a, a chancellor or a provost is, is the one speaking outwardly. Um, often, you know, they're speaking for the community. I, I you know, that I think of um, the Dr. Seuss book, The Lorax, you know, when he says, I speak for the trees. And I think it, it's kind of similar, except we have a lot of different trees involved in universities. Um, but similar in terms of that sense of responsibility, that sense of uh, having to speak for a community on an issue. I think this is where, when we talk about what it means to be a leader, um, we're talking about what it means to be a humane leader, to, to um, um, channel the right kind of empathy, to consider, uh, Terry, you mentioned a minute ago, like diversity of audience, diversity of experiences um, that are hearing these messages and what they want to hear. So you want to have, you know, what you want to say. You want to have, um, you want to be thinking about how you're going to say it and how, how words are going to hit people, how sentences, you know, are going to be um, digested by an audience. Um, and then you also want to think about timeliness of response. So this is where the crisis question comes in. And I get asked this all the time on college campuses when consulting with uh, different senior administrators groups, you know, how soon should we say something? Um, if there is, let's say, flyers on campus or a, a situation with a professor on Twitter, you know, it's heating up. There seems to be a lot of energy. Certainly if you're active on social media, even a pin drop can sometimes feel like the whole world is paying attention to it. And there's a, a lot of nervousness. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of intensity. There's a lot of pressure. Um, sometimes it's a phone call, you know, from a key donor or a member of the board or, or the board of trustees or an alumni who calls an office and um, gets in there with a very core, like, well, we have to say something on this message and, you know, we want to say it now. And so, you know, there's a lot of intense pressure. And I think, I think what university communities can do as a whole is try and recognize that most people who are running these institutions are trying to act in good faith, are trying to do their best. I think if anything, what the free speech crisis of the past four or five years has done is really um, undermine trust in leaders in universities. And so that's something that I often also preach and encourage is like, you know, give people a second, you know, have some trust in them. But at the same time, um, you know, in a crisis, we want to know what's going on. If people are um, going to be closing their, their laboratories, I know there was a university that, um, um, I won't say why I know it well, but I know one that this week on Monday said, don't worry, scientists, we're keeping our laboratories. And on Tuesday said, actually, we're closing them all on Wednesday. So, you know, a lot of chaos ensues. People are making plans. It's very difficult to um, plan for a situation that's shifting. So I think, you know, how do you do this? What are some tips and guidelines to bear in mind when we think about timeliness of response? So first is you can communicate your intentions to communicate now without having to know all the answers. And that often is actually incredibly um, um, assuring and can really help people feel confident that something is coming. Only if you think about, you're like, well, maybe you say, I don't want to say anything yet. I don't know what we're going to say. I don't want to say the wrong thing. There's a lot of fear sometimes. Um, but actually putting out the statement that says, we're, work, we're developing this, we're, we're sorting out our response, we're going to have an answer for you tomorrow. The challenge is, is if you then, you know, if you do do that, you really want to make sure that you have the answers tomorrow, that you have the more communication the next day. So if you do choose to put out something in an in interim way, you know, sometimes with... Um, incidents on college campuses, universities can't always say everything that they know about it. Sometimes facts are kind of rolling in. There are um, uh, disputed accounts uh, of, of what even quote unquote happened. And so sometimes it's, it's been become very common for, for a communications office to put out something on social media. You know, we've heard about an event that happened in, you know, the square, or that area of campus, we're investigating it and we hope to communicate, um, uh, you know, our response or our policy or, or our, some next steps, you know, in the coming days or, you know, later tomorrow or uh, as soon as possible. All of those uh, messages can be sent 
immediately. Those messages don't take, you know, vetting by different offices. They don't take a great deal of consultation necessarily. And so even doing that can be really helpful in assuring for a community, um, particularly if you have a situation, you know, let's say you're talking about the, this current crisis where you're thinking about communicating with parents about students moving in and out of residence, you know, saying something at the outset that lets people know that you're working on it, that you're paying attention to it, that you're working through it. I think that can be um, really helpful. Um, in terms of then how, you know, what can you do and how do you pull it together? I think it's vital that uh, people realize that this is in many ways an unprecedented crisis and it affects everything at the university. I mean, it just in the same way that every sector of society right now in different cities has been kind of slowly closing down and we're kind of day by day reacting to what is essentially an evolving and changing situation. Similarly, we have to understand that universities are large, they have a lot of ripple effects, they have a lot of small moving parts. And so um, understanding that there is a need not just to communicate a message, you know, we're closing, not just to kind of put out something that, that um, provide, uh, provides facts and that is empathetic, um, but that is holistic. And so this is where, you know, sometimes a message from a president is the way to do that. You want to kind of articulate in long form, a quote, you know, something that somebody wants to communicate, but other ways of communicating, FAQs, um, an FAQ page that a lot of universities have set up are really useful. Um, thinking about if you can make it searchable where people could type in, you know, I, what's going to happen with my lab or what's happening with tenure or, you know, is the athletic center closed, you know, having that, that, um, um, central resource that you can then send around to people that says, you know, here's a, a kind of archive of everything that we're saying, everything that we're doing and everything that we're thinking. And frankly, making clear to the public, to, to the different um, constituents in a university, this is an evolving situation. You know, we are uh, responding to it as it, as it evolves. We are, uh, we, you know, I, I think it's fair to say at this point, nobody really knows when this is going to end and how this is going to twist and turn further. So I think, you know, for universities, you know, the, the, we all know that too now, you know, we're all living through it. And so we don't have to pretend that there's that certainty there. But I think continuing to show empathy, continue to be clear, continue to um, communicate about a, a wide variety of issues in one place is going to be really helpful. And then last, my last point that I want to make is just the importance of truth and facts. So universities are, um, unlike other institutions in society, right now we are living through a moment where we have seen all kinds of institutions of our democracy attacked and universities have been pretty much a bulwark against that for a number of years. And I think that that, that role must continue. And so I think something that universities can be thinking about doing for, you know, I think there are ranks of, of administrators who are now uncertain about the next step in their work. But one thing that, that I think should continue to animate them is a kind of understanding that right now, they have a role to play in ensuring that information is circulating rather than misinformation or disinformation. And so, you know, just because universities are going online, I think doesn't mean that, that they no longer have those responsibilities. And in fact, I think that some of their ongoing communications can continue to be useful to communities um, as a means of circulating, frankly, factual information about the virus, about the spread and about what's happening in different cities and around the world. Um, so I'm going to pause there and uh, allow for some questions, Terry. Uh, and that's just my general summary. Let me go off mute. Um, yes. Um, so, uh, you know, we've had a, a few questions, but um, one thing uh, I'm actually typing this into the chat as I speak, but um, one thing a friend of mine said is, you know, what she'd like to see from uh, all employers via email or, or social media right now is <clears throat> something like, we only expect you to care for one another right now. Do what you need to survive this. You know, we are here for you. 
Um, and, you know, that's the kind of, of communication. I think a lot of people are just feel, you know, it's as the kind of shock is wearing off, there's a certain, um, and, well, obviously we've all had anxiety, but there's also just this, this sense that uh, we need some words of reassurance. <laughs> um, uh, that Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so yeah, that, I mean, we can't, we can't pretend like this is normal. No, I mean, you know, there was that moment where it's kind of like realizing, if anything, this is a wonderful way. I don't want to say wonderful. That's not the right word. There, there, perhaps, I don't even, silver lining doesn't even seem appropriate. No. But, <laughs> but one of the interesting, let's use the word interesting. One of the interesting things is the way that this has, uh, I think it is deeply um, um, uh, nerve wracking and anxiety ridden, absolutely. But it also kind of shakes us into recognizing just how many roles people are playing in their day-to-day lives. So, you know, this isn't just about people's offices closing. Anyone who is a parent right now is struggling to understand how they are supposed to become both their children's teacher, their children's, you know, they're, they're teaching their children at home, they're still working a full-time job, and they're also kind of parenting, or maybe they have parents or other kinds of uh, responsibilities in the community. And I think recognizing that nothing about this is normal and that you people are not going to suddenly become superhuman and certainly not in the midst of a global crisis. So, you know, I think, I think exactly as you said, like this, we need assurances. We need to understand that this is a time for, um, for being humane with one another. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I think that one of the things that has come out, I mean, and again, I hate to say uh, silver lining, but that we've all had to t- kind of slow down and, you know, kind of reassess where we're at. But, you know, it's, it's that issue of uh, acknowledging uh, that faculty, students have very, you know, various roles they're also playing. Um, that, you know, this goes beyond just the immediate community to, um, you know, we, we may have uh, faculty who are dealing with parents across the country and, and also trying to manage their kids at home, just like you were saying, and uh, also trying to figure out technology which they have not used before. So um, I'm very grateful to see some of you on here who maybe haven't used Zoom before. Um, but uh, in any case, um, I actually, I'm, I'm going to, uh, unless you have any last thoughts, John, I'm going to wrap up here and uh, pass it over to Kimberly. And um, But before you do that, I, I do want to address, uh, Sandra had a question about uh, promotion and tenure, and I've been kind of tracking this situation. There have been a lot of questions about um, if there's going to be any adjustments to that. And uh, what I'm seeing is it's, it's I, I haven't seen any consensus or even necessarily any clear thoughts on that yet. I know faculty are hoping that there'll be um, some kind of uh, added, uh, time added on to the tenure clock and so on. Um, but I'm not seeing any real clarity on policy around that yet. And so if, feel free to jump into the chat if you've heard anything from your institution. But I think it's one of those things that's on the radar screen, but that people aren't quite ready to address yet because we don't know the length of this crisis. It, it could go into the fall, unfortunately. Um, uh, so I think that that's something that administrations are, are going to be addressing later versus sooner. But, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'll, I would agree with that. That's what I've seen too. And, and I think of it kind of in parallel to what we're seeing in cities where the kind of first response has been about health. And now all the cities are going, okay, well, what about the economy? Oh, right. You know, certainly being in New York right now, the idea that um, all of New York's restaurants and 
you know, it's not just the restaurants. I mean, the incredibly high numbers of people who live in New York City and make their wages week to week through waiter, waitering or other, or other employment in, in restaurants. There's a vast number of people. So I think the health thing kind of came first. And now the economy issue is on everyone's radar. Um, so I don't see how they'll be in action. And I kind of compare it to the tenure issue similarly, which is, well, we kind of had to deal with the health issue. We had to close the residences. We had to get some sense of where we were going with this. And now we'll turn to kind of the subsidiary issues. Um, you know, teaching. Pat, there's a, a petition at, at uh, one university I saw this week where students are petitioning just for past fail grades because they can't really be expected to just suddenly go online in the way that the universities kind of thought we maybe would just kind of do that and it would be okay. Um, so I think there's a lot of issues that are still rippling here. Um, and I think, you know, similarly, as I said before, I would be quite surprised if all of, you know, you higher education leadership across the country decided that this was the opportunity to be uh, un, un, unflexible on things like tenure. I just, I don't see that coming. Yeah. And one other question uh, I see is um, if there's any advice regarding communication management. And, and I saw in the earlier uh, chat, comments that, you know, in some ways, it, it feels like communication overflow. Actually, we were having a discussion about this amongst my team yesterday that you know, we we're debating how many emails we should send this week. And I'm like, well, I'm getting emails from every single organization I've ever had anything to do with, whether it's retail, you know, my, my lawyer, my accountant, and they're all you know, pushing out these emails about how they're managing the the uh, the coronavirus crisis. You know, it's like, well, don't worry, we're you know got things under control. And I'm like, that's great, but you know, <laughs> I mean, I don't know that I need um, all these emails flooding in, um, and uh, you know, it's it's so it's a it's a management issue. It's it's a balancing act. It's like, yes, we want to be pushing info out there, and I think some schools even have have gone a little overboard on the messaging. But then I, you know. It's just hard to know what's the right amount. Yeah, I, I think that's not dissimilar, actually, from other crises that have been happening. And I think you kind of, with any um, communications kind of management process, you have to get in a kind of routine about it. So if you are, you know, if you, one thing that, that has happened in, at my organization at Pan America is we've kind of... Um, uh, consolidated it into like messages at the end of the day that kind of summarize what what different people in the organization were doing today. It's actually been really nice because we're all kind of we're all missing one another and hearing uh, updates we would normally get in person. But it's also become a vehicle for sharing you know important information about you know what's been going on in the news as the virus develops. I think mm -hmm. that universities consider could consider moving to a similar model. You know, I think in when it's happening in the immediacy of it. Um, we might be expecting universities to say something. I think right now this is something that so many universities are going through together across the country that there's a kind of understanding of the, the basic, I don't know, guardrails or, or, or framework in which this is developing. And now it's you know, a matter of regularizing uh, that communication. Maybe it's once a day, but absolutely being sensitive to how much people can be easily overwhelmed by how much they're being you know, told what told what everyone is doing. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, I'm going to shift it over to Kimberly. It, it, I know we had had some folks join in um, uh, recently, so if you don't yes. mind introducing yourself again. Absolutely. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Kimberly Gray. I'm the CEO of Uvi. We are an interactive uh, mobile learning application, uh, actually designed for remote learning. Um, so over the last two weeks, we've just been listening a lot to uh, professors, students, institutions, and just trying to understand um, uh, what their needs are and just like the bandwidth that we can assist. 
we have been working uh, as a contractor with uh, CUNY for the last two years, piloting and testing this mobile app, which allows students to respond to their curriculum with video comments, um, voice memos and text. So um, very much like Snapchat meets Blackboard. <laughs> so um, now more than ever, you know, is an opportunity for us to start thinking about adopting uh, more mobile-based applications that can plug into existing university portals and uh, learning management systems like Blackboard. What I found uh, from, from listening um, to everyone in higher education is that there is a, a frenzied lack of communication. And there's obviously a lot to unpack here on so many levels. But uh, like Jonathan said before, um, the number one sector in the world is healthcare, right? So behind that is education. So once I think in over the next couple of years, I'm also in New York, uh, we're a MWBE minority uh, owned company. So we're you know, in a position to be bidding on contracts for the state and the city and DOE. And yeah, everybody frankly is in crisis mode, just like the entire world. But what we have is this tool right, of, of, of virtual communication, which we're using right now. And uh, what we're um, uh, going to be offering very soon are um, private access for a select group of institutions to join the, the platform and start piloting out based on uh, mobile versions of their syllabus. So at this point, for us to teach effectively, we have to think about like three things, um, access, how is everybody going to um, communicate and collaborate with administrative lead, with instructors, with students? Um, you know, the effectiveness of that communication, right? Whether it's posting assignments as documents, as videos. And uh, lastly, the assessment. So what I haven't heard much from, from all of these platforms that are offering services is once we do get a grasp of, because let's face it, this isn't going to be an overnight change. Like this, the world has changed forever, right? So we need to adjust accordingly and like just almost, you know, have a, have a, have a fresh way of thinking about how to execute our ideas. One thing that we have on our side is social media. You know, um, is this collaborative way for us all to communicate? Like, so if you can use Facebook, you will easily be able to use Uvi. And uh, we just need to start thinking, because I think about all the instructors that were using Blackboard uh, for online courses. They were, you know, they're, so they're frankly a little ahead of, you know, the game at this. But I think about all the passionate instructors, because in, in a academia, there's so many different personas, right? with teaching styles and learning styles, you know. So um, I think we need to utilize more virtual tools and, and um, at least with a social-based interface mobily to enable people to communicate on these mass issues. So um, with our platform, you have the ability to create surveys, to ask questions, so um, in the next couple of weeks, we will be rolling out, um, you know, feedback mechanisms for us to continue conversations like this on Ubi. So stay tuned uh, with Terry for that. But um, when I started Ubi four years ago, I'm originally from DC. Both of my parents are uh, retired principals in DC public schools. Um, I, uh, my background was actually in film, you know, as a documentary filmmaker, I worked with Spike Lee, I did another documentary on HBO called Bastards of the Party. 
It was about the history of games in LA. So I'm um, segueing to providing a platform via education uh, to enable and enhance um, and open uh, opportunities to educational equality. Frankly, even before this crisis, um, the biggest problem we felt uh, we were solving is engagement in higher education. You know, because beyond the classroom, there's a huge drop off weight in massive open online courses, online courses with student engagement. You know, frankly, I think there's like 79% drop off rate after like a, a week, you know. Um, so how can we uh, capture that same level of engagement virtually is something we've been exploring for years, uh, working with CUNY starting at Meg Grevers College in Brooklyn. And CUNY is the largest uh, urban institution system in the world. You know, we're talking about 25 campuses, we're talking about 700,000 students. So a great testing ground for us. And our goal over the next couple of weeks is to ramp up and be able to help a lot of these instructors flip uh, at least portions of their courses uh, mobily. So mean, meaning being able to uh, have an interaction somewhat similar to this where you can uh, respond, but actually post assignments and uh, in a siloed page just for that course, be able to communicate and still uh, conduct a course with your students during the real time class uh, as it would have been if they were still in school. So um, I look forward to uh, speaking with more professors and more administration to determine how this can easily be onboarded. I mean, obviously, we think about security and encryption. But um, again, like when, when I first created Ubi four, four years ago, what we were designing was a, a, a vid embedded video commenting. So if you think about social media in general, if you just take uh, uh, learning out of the equation for two seconds, um, there's no way for you to respond with a video on Facebook or so. So really, we're just all in these boxes, but we're really not having conversations yet, guys. And um, it took a crisis like this for us to even really be able to talk to each other, you know. And it's, it's ironic, really, because our heads have been on our phones for <laughs> the last couple years. And like now, you know, it's a, it's a dire source, you know. But let's use this as a tool to bring us together. And I think um, creating siloed communities where, where people can have full-on conversations about tenure and people have, can have full-on conversations about their difficulties understanding Blackboard because they're more of a hands-on classroom-based teacher. These are all things we can start to explore because we all are very familiar with in some capacity social media, a social media style interface. And um, that's what I think we need to just at the very basic level we need to start examining how we're going to be teaching moving forward. Because regardless if this whole crisis is over in a few weeks, the world has changed forever. And I think it raises so many new questions and concerns on how we are going to be going about uh, communicating and proving the value of um, learning, you know, because um, we based our platform on the American Association for Colleges and Universities. So they have their rubrics. Um, beyond standardized testing, if you think about it, what are the ways to prove students are learning, right? So you have critical thinking, you have oral presentation, civic engagement, right? Um, so we need to take those standards and use them mobily to be able to say, hey, it may not always be that written test that, because that, what our goal is, 
to, to get to professional careers, is, is to have students excel and have learning outcomes, not be left in debt, you know. So that was the premise of is, is, is closing educational barriers, right? And for order, in order for us to do that, we have to be vocal. You know, you don't get a job because you, you, you had a, well you, well, you could be great SATs because you went to a good college. But ultimately you get a job because you're able to communicate <laughs> and pronunciate and speak. And that is a valuable tool uh, that is hard to articulate, you know, with online learning or as distance learning stands right now. But what we all guys have is this, is this phone. We all got, we all have, we all got this, you know? So um, there's a, a lot of barriers are reduced just with this mobile device. And this is universally, you know? So, um, this, this is, you know, we, we live in the most thriving country in the world, but we also have one of the lowest uh, graduation rates for college students and um, tremendous debt. Uh, so I think that the numbers now, 25% of millennials are gonna die with student loan debt. <laughs> so, you know, we need to start thinking of less expensive ways to combat some of these growing trends like there's been a lot of issues in higher education for a long time you know so um i think with uvi which stands for universal video instructional interface um we're providing a virtual collaboration app for uh, us to continue these conversations um remotely so um i look forward to speaking with you more and and, and just um yes learning how we can help yeah, so Kimberly, um, I, I posted one question I'd gotten previously up there here um, about sorting necessary and effective communications. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yes. And, um, you know, this is a question not just for, you know, from administrator to mm -hmm. faculty, but, you know, faculty to student, uh, student yeah. to faculty. I mean, I know some of uh, the faculty I've seen are also concerned about, you know, getting you know, well, actually, it ranges the spectrum. Some faculty haven't heard it all from their students and others are, yeah. are um, getting overwhelmed <laughs> with uh, the numbers of emails and concerns they're hearing from students. And yeah, and, yeah I think we can all kind of address this in different ways. But um, it seems like yeah, one of the things I was concerned about as I was thinking about students is this ability to um, use their phones uh, mm -hmm. with all, I mean, you can use Zoom on your phone. I do it all the time. Um, mm -hmm. You can also dial in. I know some of you are, are dialing in on your phones. Um, and, and I think that's, that's, you know, it's, it becomes, again, that, that balancing act of finding ways to effectively communicate without being overwhelming. And I yes. wonder what your thoughts were on that. Well, frankly, I'm working on that myself because, <laughs> you know, um, it, it, in the simplest way I can put it is, you know, we have to take advantage of the tools that we have right in front of us. Mm -hmm. So if, if the whole world has been built on, you know, classrooms haven't changed since, since their inception, you know, um, we want to keep the focus on the students and on the professors, because those are the people who are going to be using, like for example, Google Classroom has 40 million users. Only about 10% of that group are the ones who actually pay for it, you know? And those, you know, of that, they're not really even using the platform. Mm -hmm. So I implore uh, professors and, and faculty to reach out to Uvi 
and, and to contact us and to tell us how we can be more efficient in helping you. So what we've been doing, again, are flipping uh, curriculums, uh, syllabus from uh, standard, from, from online and also classroom-based uh, syllabi uh, to 30-minute mobile components, which are broken down into videos from instructors asking discussion-based questions, allowing students to reply with 15-second video comments or texts, or even voice memos, all within a feed, like a social media style feed. So, and, and, and within that, uh, testing their response, are they more engaged? Are they responding more? There's all types of data and analytical information we can learn by using uh, the tools that are native to these students, you know? And I keep mentioning CUNY, because again, the goal here is, is to get people jobs and careers so they can feed their families. Like people don't go, this is a, you know, the City University of New York, people aren't going here, you know, to, to be on a football team or, you know, they're going there to, to, to make money so they can feed their families. And, and ultimately, that's the goal of college, right, is to build relationships and get the information you need to be successful in life. We have to continue to provide, provide these tools. And uh, I think remotely, you're creating opportunities for the institutions for, for another revenue stream. And you're opening and uh, barriers to students who may not have been able to afford classes or access classes uh, before. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Yes. and you know, frankly, we don't know what the new normal is going to be. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, it's interesting because for some uh, institutions that are on the edge, I was just reading an article on Inside Higher Ed from uh, John Warner, talking about the fact that we need a bailout for higher ed. <laughs> Um, because so many institutions are, are going to be on, are already on the edge of survival. And, you know, as they're looking at doing refunds for, you know, room and board and, and potentially for some, because there are some institutions that have canceled uh, completely, they aren't even teaching anymore uh, for tuition, um, you know, that puts them into a real bind in terms of cash flow and so on. And, so I think, you know, looking at the various tools we have, you know, it's not just about communication. It's, it's, and, you know, it's also about going forward. How are we going to effectively provide an ongoing education when in this era of uncertainty? And so I think it's not just a matter of, you know, okay, so we talked about this earlier. It's, and I think this is another mode of communication that everybody's going to have to get into is that it's not just about, the immediate moment. At some point, we're going to have to pivot to what are we going to do? What are we doing for admissions? How are we going to manage, um, you know, the fall if we are still on some kind of, you know, remote teaching mode? Um, I mean, that's just going to be a huge, huge issue. You know, people are reassessing. I mean, students are just now getting to the point where they're thinking about who, where, where they're going to go. Um, are we going to see a huge decline in enrollment? Um, you know, so I think that, uh, and I think one of the things we're going to have to think about for our future work, and just keep in mind, we're, we're doing this on a weekly basis. Um, and I would love to hear from people here if there's specific topics, but I think another topic we're going to have to jump into fairly soon is this idea of continuity. And, you know, how do we use the tools um, like Uvi, especially remembering that this, you know, frankly, you know, the smartphone is going to be our mode of communicating for the foreseeable future. Students do have, some students have laptops, but, you know, most students are going to have a smartphone. And so, 
and making sure that those communications are effective. So I know when I was at UT Austin, I, I want to make sure I mentioned, you know, that that text messages were um, the way we got out in, you know, crisis information, um, and uh, you know, text messages have also become an important form of, of communication for this generation of students because they don't read email. <laughs> so um, we ran into the when I was provost at Menlo College, we ran into this problem all the time that students were not. Uh, reading their email. So when I want to come back to this question that Tracy sent me. Yes. Um, I think when it's a crisis communication, you know, or, or a critical piece of information, we need to have hierarchies. So if it's uh, something students need to know right away, text message. Mm -hmm. If it's something that, you know, students can find out in the next few days, email. Mm -hmm. And then if it's something that is you're getting hundreds of questions from parents and so on, it needs to be an FAQ and a website. Yeah. And a lot of institutions are doing already doing this, you know, they have the, the coronavirus website, you know, they have their FAQ, but I'm not seeing, you know, even, I, I think we need to get to the point where even for parents and faculty, we are, are communicating being critical messages via text messages that has mm -hmm. to be at the top mm -hmm. of the hierarchy. And that we are um, finding ways to get messages to people because I think too many people are, you know, especially when we're in a time of, of such high confusion and you know the messages are changing on a daily basis. I mean, my son's college in the in the space of a week went from oh we're going to let some you know students stay on campus, but we're going to shift to online. Oh, we're going to shift to online for the next few you know through April seventh. Oh, we're going to shift to online through the end of the semester. Oh, we want you to come and get your student now. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's so you know I was uh, on Sunday I was looking at flights so I could fly up to Portland and drive back with my son on Friday. By Monday, I was making plans with another family to drive up <laughs> on Tuesday so I could get him back here by Wednesday. You know, so I think, you know, there's there's a distinction to be made between, and uh, Jonathan, I think you already mentioned this, that um, there's kind of the, the immediate issues that we have to, to deal with um, that are, are changing on a daily basis. But if we aren't starting to think about the future um, and planning out What's going to happen in two months? What's going to happen in three months? What are our contingency plans? And this comes back to strategic planning. Um, you know, we have to start, uh, you know, getting, um, and I'm, I'm not talking about text messages from businesses, <laughs> um, but I'm, talk I'm mainly talking about uh, from campuses to, to key stakeholders. But, um, you know, I, I think we have to get take a step back at some point very soon. And like I said, I'm happy to, to put this into our webinar schedule. What happens in the fall? Um, what are some ways we can be preparing to provide uh, our, our education online uh, via phone, et cetera, going into the fall semester? What are we going to do with, with freshmen? Um, first year students, you know, graduate, how are we managing our graduate students? What are we doing for, for the financial situation of both the college and, and so we need to be, um, and I'm a political scientist, so we need to be uh, thinking in terms of policy, you know, what are we telling our, our legislators, um, you know, are we making sure they're keeping higher education in mind as they're doing, uh, as they're coming in with, uh, you know, legislation, um, and yeah, football. <laughs> uh, can I just jump in right there, Terry? That's yes. that's so true because you know basically the only content you see on television right now, you're constantly being interrupted with news breaks from you know our governors from yep. from Trump. So obviously there's going to be a 
huge influx of funding that's going to be earmarked. Um, I think first level at the highest level of collaboration, institutions of higher education should consider coming together and, yes. and make, maybe putting an RFP or some type of proposal together to kind of address and assess the overall high level needs from everything, those bullets you just mentioned. And maybe that's something collectively we can create a survey or start you know, exploring to put together. Um, because without any type of consensus, it's hard to make a solid argument, right? Mm -hmm. So at this point, public, private, community colleges, state-run institutions, it doesn't matter. We're talking mm -hmm. about federal funds. So they need to be addressed. So yeah. I think on the highest level, the takeaways, I see a lot of people here, a lot of people concerned. Um, I think we should start formulating um, oh, at least a one sheet of things that we would like to address that can be put into a larger dot. I mean, you guys are all, you know, smart people. <laughs> like, we, you know, got with downtime, frankly. <laughs> so, I don't know about the downtime. Uh, okay, maybe not downtime. <laughs> I take that back. <laughs> but um, this is a huge cause and we need great minds, you know, to kind of come together and, and whatever, you know, Uvi can provide moving forward. We will help. Yeah. Jonathan. You know, Terry, yeah, I was just going to uh, piggyback on that. I think absolutely you're right. The kind of moment of shutdown, it was very clear, you know, we're shutting down for two weeks. We've set, you know, I've seen so many different dates that were originally put out. We're shutting for two weeks or three weeks or spring break or after spring break. And now we're seeing how the reality of this is shifting everyone's understanding of it. And I mean, mm -hmm. it's a rapidly evolving situation. I think that the best that universities can do right now is kind of set a date for when do they have to start? When, when is decision deadline, you know, about the future, about the fall? Um, what can they communicate, you know, just coming back to the communications thing, you know, it may, there may come a time in the next month or so where universities have to start communicating that they are uncertain, you know, that things are in flux, mm -hmm. that we hope, you know, we had hoped to welcome the incoming class in August. Um, and we may still, but we are also considering different contingencies. And, you know, the one of the things that universities could start to consider doing, and I don't know if any of them are, is, you know, if this goes on for another month or a month and a half, um, are there ways that they can set up um, mechanisms or platforms to get feedback from their communities about like the online system? I think, you know, when so many professors were kind of told, you're all teaching online as of, you know, three days from now, you know, there were so many wonderfully uh, amusing uh, memes and, and guidelines and tips that circulated online. But one of the popular ones was, you know, why I want you to do a bad job, you know, and it was, yeah, exactly. you know, we, yeah. we don't want this to, we don't want to set, you know, there's a lot of people who have a fear that the efforts to monetize higher education, you know, to force more professors to teach more online are going to try and take advantage of this moment. Um, I'm not convinced that, that that there's a kind of insidious motive behind any of this because I think it all just came upon us so quickly and so rapidly. And I think it's probably more about a, a more reflective of a scramble than a kind of concerted plot. Um, and I think one of the things that's going to come out of this, okay, it could be that, oh, we discover that we can all teach online, but it could also, frankly, be we all realize why being in person is just so darn important. Yes. And so, you know, <laughs> I'm not convinced that, that we're all going to come out of this. But but in terms Absolutely. of um, in terms of, you know, that kind of message of let's do a bad job, I think if this does go longer and it, if it does become something that that universities have to consider, you know, the summer or the fall sessions, um, you know, there's going to be a need to be more attentive to training people in better, uh, better preparation for teaching online. And unfortunately, um, anyone who's done serious online teaching before knows that it's a huge lift to really put a whole course online properly. It takes an entirely... Um, 
uh, it's an entirely different mindset from when you're teaching in person in terms of how you structure content, in terms of whether you're synchronous with student or students or asynchronous, how you set up uh, communications uh, potential, some of the kinds that you were talking about, Kimberly. Um, um, and so it, it's, a it's just, it's different. It's a really different animal. And so I think at some point, as you mentioned, Terry, like the contingency is going to have to start being yeah. explored. You know, what could this look like? What are different ways we could do this? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think, I think at the very least, Soon, sooner than later, universities are going to have to start figuring out what they could say about this, at least to be a little transparent about the fact that, you know, we all suspect that they're, it's creeping up in, in the back of everyone's minds. How long is this going to go? And I think yeah. the more that universities can be on top of communicating that uncertainty, um, frankly, the better off they're, they're going to be in terms of appearing authoritative and appearing on top of things, appearing yeah. organized and appearing empathetic. Yeah, I, I think it's important just to say we're thinking about it. Yeah. You know, um, that it's because exactly. one of the things that I th found interesting being on the uh, Facebook forum with other parents of college students is that the parents were just like, you know, oh, my God, they haven't said anything about X, Y and Z. So they must not be thinking about it when the reality was, of course, they're thinking about it. You know, they just, just they aren't ready. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They don't know what to say yet. And they, they don't know the answer. It, yes. But that's the thing we were saying earlier is it's OK to say you don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's OK to say we but I think what's more important uh, at this stage is to say, we're, we're looking at a variety of contingencies. You know, we are, we're keeping these things in mind. Right. Um, so, so yeah. Looking at what uh, Terrence's comment, comment was about asynchronous and synchronous learning, I think, you know, UVI is a testament to that. And that's also online versus, you know, in classroom courses. And frankly, I think there are ways, like you look at the popularity of TikTok and Facebook Live and, you know, those same people who teach in classrooms may get that gratification from teaching if they can see the students, if they get that. I was watching um, Stephen Colbert last night. <laughs> Did you yeah. guys see this? It was so sad. It was, yeah. you know, because he was remote. He didn't have his audience in front of him. It was just like starving someone. It was just so sad, you know, so this is new, but we can, I think, you know, as, as much as it's not desirable, you know, we have to work with what we have and yeah. come up with a, you know, a, a group contingency plan for next steps. And then again, we have so many intelligent people here, you know, it might be a matter of putting together a think tank to kind of, you know, decipher how we can help, you know, the higher ups in higher yeah. ed. because if they don't know, and this affects, you know, the people on this call a lot. So maybe, you know, we need to explore making suggestive white paper-esque, you know, proposals to the government and, and, and to uh, the higher ups to create, you know, some type of group effort to. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that you mentioned earlier that struck me is that it, this is affecting. Uh, so in higher ed, we tend to be broken up into silos. We've got the yeah. R1s. Yeah. We've got the regional institutions. Mm -hmm. We've got community colleges. I mean, there's all kind and, you know, and then, you know, private nonprofits, you know, and I, but this is affecting all of us in very similar ways. And, yes. you know, actually one of the reasons I created Chell was to hopefully get more yeah. of a dialogue yeah. going on, you know, across all of these different kinds of institutions, because it's true 
that um, and uh, you know there should be ways to to share and we are finding ways to share information. I mean, I want to you know give a shout out to uh, I'm on a Facebook group called Pan uh, Pandemic Pedagogy. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, I think they've got something like seventeen thousand people on it. Um, the Chronicle wow. of Higher Ed has created a Facebook page that uh, unfortunately it's, it's I think it's private. that's very well, teachers college. Yeah. That's very teacher's college. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, John, you, you're asking is there, are there webinars there? So yeah, the, it's the, the problem right now is everything's scattershot. Mm -hmm. And I would like to see more collaboration going on, like you mentioned, Kimberly. I'd like to see people talking to each other about ways we can share information yep. in a better, in a more cohesive way. Mm -hmm. um, there is a time, I've been, and in, just so you know, we have a website, I'll post it here on, on Shell where I'm, I'm pulling together yes, resources. Yes, please post our, can you post um, Uvi as well? Yes, I'm posting it right now on our chat. Um, and uh, so we're. Tr I'm trying to keep track of a lot of this stuff, and you know, I'm not going to put every single online webinar resource on there. But I will give. Yeah, you know, I am posting uh, where people who are doing this kind of work are. Are you can find them, um, and so the our Corona re resources page is a whole. You know, you know, it starts with the basic stuff, and then our webinars, and, the, and but also there's all kinds of resources out there that we can be using. Um, so uh, in any case, uh, I think that, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I haven't, I think everybody's scrambling right now. Um, you know, so organizations like ACE are like, well, you know, they serve a certain kind of institution and AAC and U serves a certain kind of institution and you know, the other community college, uh, you know, top organizations. And, and so I'm not sure how we're going to pull it together. And I hope all of you out there will help us brainstorm about this. We have some public forums where we can do that because I think we do need to come together and say, okay, what do we need from government? I mean, okay, we say we want to bail out, but what does that mean? Um, you know, how can we, you know, this was started out with discussing crisis communications, you know, how do we, uh, work together to create forms of communication that are going to make sense um, as we go forward. You know, how do we um, you know, work with the National Science, maybe the National Science Foundation is where we go and say, look, we need to create a, a better uh, way to do crisis communications that, you know, is effective. And, you know, um, actually I have a friend who um, might be interested in, in pulling something together like that. Oh, great. Uh, he uh, has a journalism background, and we've, talk, we've actually been talking about doing a workshop for um, faculty leaders uh, and, and administrators around communication. But anyway, John, did you want to jump in? Yeah, I, I just like hearing all the uh, different elements here. I think it's also, you know, right now the kind of shift online has been really focused on like the core things that students need, you know, health and, you know, academic progress. But I think if this does go longer and uh, as it expands, you know, universities really have to think about not just how they're meeting those kinds of, you know, you know, kind of basic needs, basic <laughs> needs in terms of like research or teaching, but you know, their values. I've been thinking a lot about um, on one hand, you know, issues of free speech in this moment. We've seen uh, a lot of challenges in a lot of um, countries around the world where, you know, it's one thing when we believe in democracy and then we all go live in our homes. But what happens yeah. when, when, you know, uh, in Turkey, they are arresting people for things they put online. You know, I think there's uh, a lot of concern there. And I think um, some of the concerns around diversity and inclusion that we know how to do and we think about in terms of like accessibility and equity, you know, we have so much that's been invested in supporting students from different backgrounds on campus. 
how do we possibly start to do that when everyone is, you know, online? And I think, I think it's, it's soon going to be time to start thinking much more deeply about some of those issues, issues around like civic engagement or students, Mm -hmm. students, social clubs and how we get people, you know, all the old things that we thought, you know, universities are supposed to do in terms of their meeting civic, meeting their civic mission, you know, how people interact across difference, how they meet people who are unlike them, all of that. I I hope that there uh, can emerge some ways for us (laughs) to do those things. And then the last thing I'll say uh, that we didn't touch on very much today is just uh, how much study abroad has been affected by this. Well, that's next week. You're perfect because that's next week. I can tell you, I can tell you that uh, my nephew was in Prague, had to return and now he is taking, um, he's taking uh, intro Czech language and um, Czech history and Czech culture and Czech cinema from <laughs> Pennsylvania with students in Prague. And the question is, you know, of yeah. course, the point was he was going to be with these students in class, but then maybe there's value still in him doing these courses with students mm-hmm. in other countries. So, you know, not lining, but I think there are ways to try and retain university's commitment to all of these values and, and um, that those should be on our priority list. 100% agree. And you know, as we run out of time, let's let's continue to iterate on this. Um, our website is uviapp.com. And as mentioned before, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be selecting a uh, small target group of universities to um, start these mobile portions of curriculum through the syllabus. Uh, the pilots that we've done in the past, it's been a percentage of the student's class participation grade. So anywhere from 15 to 20%. And uh, our business model is uh, $10 per semester um, or $20 a year, you know, and this cost can be on the student. Um, It's one twentieth of the cost of a textbook. So, you know, for this instant, you know, lifeline of communication. So, um, yeah, I look forward to speaking with you all and, and, you know, helping as much as we can. Yes, thank you so much to uh, John and Kimberly and all the folks who have uh, checked in over the course of the last hour. I know we've had some folks having to come in and out, um, but just a reminder, I'll put it up here again that yeah, we're, we're hoping that we can get uh, all of you to join us. And right now, we, have not, we are not only have the, this free webinar series, but we also have um, our forums are that are open to the public uh, we put the links in there and we'll send those out and we also um, have our free hired administration 101 course so if, if you're one of those faculty who happens to be on leave or something and isn't crazed right now <laughs> you feel free to join in our our higher ed uh, 101 course as well uh, we got a, a, the next cohort is starting uh, April 1st and um, in any case, I hope to see all of you here next week. Um, but also I put in there that uh, on Monday, um, Ubi is having a, a webinar that's focused um, more on uh, you know, their app and- Remote teaching. learning, yes, remote specifically learning. And, and distance learning. Um, we're gonna have a great panel uh, from Educause and Cengage. So join us, that's in conjunction with New York EdTech. Obviously it will be done very remotely. So um, just, you know, follow Terry. She'll be providing updates about that. And I hope you guys can join us. We'll be sending out the event rights very soon. Thank you so much. Yes, wonderful to see everybody. I'm going to go ahead and and sign us off now. But um, yeah, don't hesitate to email me or or any of us uh, at Chell or or Kimberly or John. And and we're happy to answer your questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. Bye-bye. And, and it will be posted. Yes, uh, we, I ha- it is recorded. So I'll be po- I will be sending it out to everybody and also posting it on our website. Awesome. So, and, Thank you, case, guys. Thank you.